Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends. I hope everybody's great today. I get a lot of very sad calls, and people tell me, I'm losing my best friend. I don't feel like I'm a spouse anymore. I feel like I'm just a caregiver. I got two of those uh, yesterday, between yesterday and this morning. And people will tell me that, you know, they were happily married for 50 years and they were absolutely inseparable and now they really struggle with being in love anymore. They feel like sometimes their person is not who they used to be, that 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 person that they fell in love with, the person they spent their life with and were looking forward to their golden years with, isn't there anymore. And from a spouse perspective, that is just such a hard concept. You know, I suppose that a parent could feel like your best friend. Easily, you know. But where it where the lines get skewed is that, you know, people say... This is my best friend. I could tell them anything. They knew what my favorite shows were. They knew what my favorite restaurants were. We used to go out on Friday nights for date night. But now when I talk to them, there's no reply. It feels like there's no one there anymore. And when they do answer, it's all about them. You can't pour your heart out to them. You can't tell them what you want to say. They might say something like, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Maybe you've told them ten times what the day's activities were going to be. Maybe it's been over a year since you've had any meaningful two-way conversations or intellectual conversations. That happens all the time. And it just leaves you with an emotional emptiness. Just like nothing's there. You might tell them something really important, like you have a diagnosis of cancer or something, and they just don't comprehend it. Maybe they just say, well, I don't have it, so that's good. Or it doesn't run in our family. When you have hard news that you have to comprehend, that you have to 
accept and that person doesn't seem to understand what you're going through, that's hard. It's hard when, as a kid, maybe your parent always babysat for your children or, you know, they had great conversations with you about things that they did when you were a kid and they try to help you with ways that you can work with your kids or lessons that they taught them a certain way and and maybe you try to lament how you do things a little bit different as a parent in your life now but you can't even have that conversation it's just gone it's just gone people don't understand that heartbreak the people that make jokes about alzheimer's the people that never had to live with this they just don't understand that heartbreak. The times when you feel like you need to cry. Speaking from a a child of a parent with it for a minute, you know, maybe you feel like you can't call your siblings because you're crying all the time and they get sick of you calling. Some ways maybe that makes you a little stronger. You'll get stronger as you go along. You'll learn more. You'll figure ways out to deal with stuff like this. But it's hard. From a spouse standpoint, I hear things like, my person has extreme apathy. Um, they don't seem to have any sense of purpose. They're angry because a lot of times, like really simple things, um, them asking if, if a utensil is a fork or not recognizing characters on TV on something you've watched for years, like Friends or something like that, and then they're asking you about who are these people. And when you have have obtained the power of attorney over your spouse or your parent or what have you, you did that when they were okay. And maybe... They trusted you not to put them in a nursing home. Well, you know, that only works as long as you can handle the pressure, as long as you can handle the the scope of care. As long as maybe now, as time has gone on since you signed that paperwork, somebody's helping you with, Things like cleaning the house or shoveling snow or doing other chores, uh, fixing dinners, going to the grocery store, take, giving them rides to the doctor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you had that help, maybe it'd be a whole lot easier. <laughs> if you don't have that help, it's not easier. And all bets are off on things that were said years ago, like, I trust you never to to make that decision, you're the only one that will keep me out of that nursing home or whatever it is. 
Well, no matter who you are, if you're a kid of a person that has Alzheimer's, even if you're an adult, or you're a spouse, it's the last thing you want to do. You see the things they're still doing in their house that make them happy. You see the the continuity they have with the home that they live in, how they know where everything is for the most part until they don't. You think that you can keep them there as long as you possibly can. But being a homeowner, anybody that owns their house knows something breaks all the time. Your power goes out. You have your refrigerator go down. That happened to me this week. Eight hours, my power was out. And it luckily it was overnight, but unluckily you forget when the power comes back on, oh, things like what was in the refrigerator until you go to make something and it doesn't taste quite right. Now, if that person isn't cognizant enough to kind of figure that out or think to themselves, oh, the power has been out for eight hours, um, they could eat food that was spoiled or expired. It makes me think about that because as an example, that next day, I we had been... Um, my husband and I had gone to celebrate Father's Day with our daughter. And when we got home that night, we were still really full from the brunch we had. And we just decided that we would have, like, bacon sandwiches or something. Well, I didn't realize the bacon didn't smell quite right until I fixed it and then went to take a bite. And... I threw mine away. I asked my husband not to eat it because I didn't want any of us to get really sick, you know. But I didn't think about it until I made the bacon. And then I went back in my refrigerator and because it had been off for eight solid hours, I just threw a bunch of stuff out. I just did because... I don't want to take a risk on getting sick. Now, if you have Alzheimer's, all you know is you slept through whatever was going on. The The power was out for eight hours, and you get up and the power's on. You think everything's fine. Well, I had reset my clocks. We left to go eat with my daughter and her family, and when we came back, the clocks were all flashing again. So I knew that the power had gone out again. And usually it will show on one clock how long the power's been out. But what if you can't figure that out? These are just examples in the real world of things that could go wrong that you don't have any control over. You're not thinking about, you know, how long the, the, the power's been out or did the food expire or is the ice cream melted and now re, re-frozen and, you know, hard as rock. 
So these are things that you kind of have to think about. That nursing home promise goes right out the window when you have to make trips three or four times a day to somebody's house or you have to help them take their medicine. Um, If they put something in the microwave and sparks fly, you know, things like that happen. You know, when it comes to dinner time, um, do they have the ability to go in and help you decide what they want to have for dinner? Do they know how to turn on the stove? Are they relying on you? Is that wearing you down? Of course it does. And like I said, I had a couple calls the last couple of days about people going through things like this. And what got me to thinking about this was one of my clients mentioned that she now has a complete new skill set when it comes to doing things around the house. She never changed a filter on the furnace. She never fixed a leaky pipe. She didn't pay the bills and take care of the finances. She said, I was soccer mom to my kids. I was the one that went to the store and picked up the groceries and came home and fixed dinner. And, you know, I was a taxi driver for the kids and just trying to do everything I could. But I didn't mow the lawn. I didn't fix the lawnmower when it wasn't working. I didn't run the snowblower or put the chains on it. I didn't cut the branches down off the trees. I didn't paint a room when it needed it or fix a lock on a door handle or any of that stuff. My husband took care of all of that and now he can't. We make decisions based on what's happening right now. Very seldom do we make pertinent decisions, important decisions for the future. The only time we do that is like with insurance or long-term care insurance, you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, going to somebody's house in a month or a couple weeks or celebrating a specific holiday with somebody, things like that. But when we make promises about how we're going to care for somebody, usually everybody is healthy at that moment in time. It's easy to make decisions like that when there's no trauma happening. There's no drama happening. You know, it. we notice the changes in the person. We make adjustments along the way. We try as hard as we can to build in more time to get people ready to go to an appointment or or get out the door for whatever reason. We didn't count on them not wanting to take a bath for a month and a half, you know. Uh, not washing their hair, not brushing their teeth. We, 
You know, we just didn't think about those kinds of things. And it's and it's heartbreaking when you try to do something that is back in time, which usually works. And maybe you want to listen to like a, a Rockies game or something on the radio and you tell your dad, hey, why don't we sit and listen to the Rockies game? And they look at you like, what's a radio? Things like that are devastating. Having to explain what an object is that they should know, that they listen to, you know, in the car forever and ever and, you know, that kind of stuff. And you're going, wow, all right, this is different. This is something I didn't expect. And sometimes they'll have the same exact response to you, um, you know, saying, oh, yeah, you know, I know that or or I understood what you said or that shouldn't matter to me anyway because I don't need to listen to a radio uh, most of the time or, you know, those standard responses and you get the same, same story, you get the same response. It never deviates. And we're sitting here going, I don't even know if what they're telling me is true now anymore. I just don't know. Their memories used to be much more in depth. That's really scary when you see your person losing that thought process, losing that ability to think things through, and you start realizing that when you do mention something from back in the day, those memories you think they should remember, but they're not. They're gone. Old hobbies that they used to have, maybe like doing the crossword puzzle in the New York Times or, you know, things like that. They quit doing that. My mom used to like to watch General Hospital, but there got to be a point where she couldn't follow that anymore. You know, they have trouble with names of people. My client today said, my husband looked at me yesterday and said, what's your name? What's my name? She said that blew her away. She expected him to not recognize grandchildren, great-grandchildren in the future, you know, things like that. But she never ever, ever thought he would say, what's your name, what's my name, when they've been married 40-some years. Things are game changers when you find bills in a drawer somewhere that were never sent. When you're talking to your person and they don't remember getting the power of attorney done. Things like that. We have so much to talk about today, but I want you to hear a message from my sponsor, Carolan at Bellevue Station. They are wonderful. They do a great job taking care of their people, and we're going to listen to a message from them right now, and we'll be back shortly. Carillon at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. 
Our community full of grandeur and elegance is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado. We offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit Carillon at BellevueStation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I was talking about the day-to-day changes that happen that we think we're on top of. Um, But when we were made power of attorney or when, you know, before our person got really bad, we weren't thinking about the day-to-day things that could complicate the entire situation, right? So having trouble with names, that's where we left off. And my client had said her husband asked her what her name was and what his name was. And um, I'm sure she just felt like she just wanted to cry. I mean, I know I would. The memory works in such a weird way. It is such a mystery. Their world gets smaller and smaller and smaller to where, like I have one client who just, she waits until caregivers arrive. They get her out of bed. They get her dressed. They get her to the bathroom. She walks down a flight of stairs, lays on the couch, and doesn't get up off that couch the entire day. And that person needs to be moved to skilled nursing, and she's the only one that doesn't seem to grasp that concept. We get things like this that happen all the time. People not wanting to go upstairs or downstairs in their house anymore. Um, Weird stuff like taking a leaf out of the table, you know, just because they think it's just you and them. And they don't realize that your daughter and her kids are coming over and they come over almost every night for dinner. Little weird, weird things like that can happen. And it's not like anybody gives you a list or, you know, a test of, okay, these are the things that you're going to look at. These are the things you're going to do. These are the, these are the, ways that you're going to work with your person. I've heard people say, oh, have you seen my baby? And they try to introduce their grandchild to that grandchild's parent, which is their child, their daughter or their son. I've heard things like this where, you know, I had a I had a client who said that her mom walked into the room to meet her brand new baby. 
And she thought it was her baby. And she picked her up and was saying, isn't she sweet? Isn't she adorable? We haven't named her yet. Do you think she looks like me? I think she looks like me, only prettier. Well, she's she's younger. That's why she's prettier. When I was young, I was pretty. You know? And then she said to her daughter, Oh, she looks like she's hungry because she's crying. I'm going to go um, feed her. And the daughter knew that her mom had always breastfed all of her kids, which is so weird. And she had to stop her and say, No, no, uh... No, she's she's my baby. And they went back and forth, you know. Uh, no, she's my baby. No, she's my baby. I'm not going to let her go. And she said, oh, this, my client said, oh, my God, I had to have the most ridiculous amount of patience and strength. And honestly, I don't think I'm strong enough to get through losing my mom. I think I think the 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 craziness is you know I don't want her to try and breastfeed my child and I can't bring her back into this world she thinks that's her child so I just said um well we can't do it here and I just kind of tried to redirect her to a bottle um that I had brought uh from what I had pumped and I, I was able to say well you know, she's she's not she's not latching on right now. They went through this whole conversation, and she said, "When my when my mom made me the power of attorney, she thought I would never put her in a memory unit or a nursing home. She thought we were going to be okay. But when stuff like that happens, and she thinks that my brand new baby of three days old is her baby." That's a problem. You know, we're not on the same planet. We're not in the same universe. How do I deal with that? And you know, I don't care how much training you have. You could have a background in mental health, you know, be in that field. You could be helping people cope with various dementias and memory loss and all kinds of stuff. But when it happens to you, it's a different dynamic. It is. The, the brain has a disease. It's not going to get better. No matter how much education you have, you're not going to be able to cure your person. You can't pray it away. And 90% of the people with the diagnosis don't know something's wrong with them. I hear this question over and over. Do you think they know what's wrong with them? They don't because the memory loss has been slow and gradual. And... They have whatever memories they have, so they think they're doing all the things that we know that they're not doing. When they go back in time, in like their teenage years and stuff like that, they just glide through the memory. 
Not, well, not everybody. Some go kicking and screaming. Some people have a little bit more awareness of something that's going wrong, that they're not remembering things the way they should. Do they get relieved when they get a diagnosis? I don't know. Some people do. Some people don't. You know, I always ask that question. What was their reaction to the diagnosis? I'm hoping that they were somewhat relieved because now they know, you know, something's actually wrong, that it's physical, it's medical. It's something that they can't control. But not everybody sees it that way. Some people get the diagnosis and then they just get angry and they deny it and they become difficult and it's really, really hard. And the people that don't know that they have it sometimes do a little bit better than people who do because the people who do, they have more fear and sadness and grief. You know, they worry about going to their children's weddings. They worry about not remembering that they were at their wedding. I had a guy tell me a few weeks ago that he's scared to death he will not remember walking his daughter down the aisle and that he really prays that somebody videotapes it so they can show it to him later. Um... And when they do, he hopes he recognizes himself. That's a scary thought. And make no mistake about it, the, the loss of the ability to think oftentimes is more difficult and fear-provoking, I think, than the loss of the ability to use their bodies. I, I think it boils down to a difference in the quality of life. That if you can at least understand it or, or talk about it, that's good. If you can't, you know, understand it or talk about it, then it's scary. And so many times... When somebody's starting to have memory problems, the next thing that happens is if they've been working, their job's in jeopardy. Again, when we made agreements early on, none of this was happening, right? And I don't care how blessed you feel to have that job. you got to be in a deep-seated realm of fear every day that somebody's going to figure out that you're not doing well. You know, how do you interact with the people in your work life? Do you engage with them easily? Are you staying up on whatever work you're doing? Probably not. You know, and sometimes literally families start recognizing these things really early on. 
when somebody's not driving well or they're missing appointments and things like that. And if they can get one little piece to that puzzle and kind of understand that the person is is struggling, they have the ability now to kind of map out their plan and to work on whatever they need to work on. Now, on the other hand, there are people who are completely oblivious to stuff, absolutely clueless. They don't know anything about Alzheimer's. They think Alzheimer's and dementia are the same thing. One's a worsening of the other. Story of my life, right? They don't know what the related disorders are. They don't get that there are different types of cancers. There are different ways you treat those different types of cancers, and the dementia diseases are very much the same. They are not related. They Does it matter? It absolutely matters. I talk about it constantly, about how we, the more we know, we can either have better strategies and techniques and redirection skills for people with Alzheimer's. We have very little recourse. We have to figure out how we navigate the system with somebody with Lewy body. Um, my Parkinson's people, they're okay. They, they suffer with apathy and, and lack of purpose, but their caregivers are the ones that seem to struggle in my book a whole lot more. Yeah. So the people that you know kind of take it well they they show us a little bit of that struggle when they say, "Do you think I have Alzheimer's?" And we're trying to figure out how do we answer that. Okay, they're forgetting things. They're calling me every day with the same questions over and over. They ask for somebody who's not there. It's really gut-wrenching and tragic when we get a diagnosis. The person's trying to figure out how they're going to accept it or not accept it or whatever's going on, and then something happens to their spouse. They have a heart attack, appendicitis die of cancer, get in a car accident, something, right? And more than likely, with 68 of our caregivers passing away before the person with the diagnosis, we start realizing that they were covering very well, they were coping very well with all of this, um, covering for the person, and... Although they were concerned because maybe they found bills in a drawer or, or you know, bills that were thrown away or money that had been spent, um, you know, they had to be concerned. Maybe they even went and had their person evaluated. And probably a GP said, oh, it's early dementia, but there's no treatment. So we just kind of keep an eye on the person and hope that they function fairly well over time. And, you know, we start going over to their house every weekend or every couple of days. And then when somebody dies, like I was just saying, all of a sudden you realize it's way worse than any of you ever knew. 
And now you're having to make decisions based on what's happening in the moment, where that person is right now, nobody covering for them, nobody answering for them, nobody coping with them, nobody, you know, covering their actions or their memory loss. And all of a sudden you're in a completely different realm miles away from that conversation you had years ago. Miles away. Driving is one of those contentious things, you know. The person drives over to your house and you're amazed that they even made it. They should have made it in 10 minutes. They show up an hour and 40 minutes later. You've been very worried when they really only live a couple blocks away from you and they should have been there early, right? There's so many things that point us in a different direction, And like last week's show, some of us have to ask, why should I help? Why do I need to be involved in this? Not all relationships are rewarding, loving, friendly, fulfilling. Sometimes they are strained. They are full of animosity. They're non-existent. Other family members don't understand how you're trying to work with that person. Um, nobody is helping unless they send you a nasty email about something and saying you're trying to take over this person's life. Um, chances are you hear from a distant relative or a sibling you haven't heard from in a long time. And they haven't shown any motivation whatsoever in getting to know the situation better, but they have a hell of a lot of thoughts about how you're handling things. It's all really, really tough. I've got a lot to say about this. So... I want to take a short break. You'll hear a little bit about my company. And when we come back, we'll again look at this why should I help um, situation because things were great years ago when I said I would take over the power of attorney and now they're not so great. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one -on -one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. 
We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988, to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. So before we went to break, I was talking about, you know, we ask ourselves, why should I help? Why do I keep doing this? What? Why, why, why? I, I've fallen out of love. Uh, I've got somebody that treats me horrible, whatever it is, you know. So often I get people say, saying, you know, I just got called on to care because I'm the misfixit of the house. Sometimes it's with family members you're not even close to. Oh, great. Now I get to care for somebody that has Alzheimer's or some other kind of memory loss or whatever the dementia is. And maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent you barely knew. What if it's a parent, like I talked about last week, that never said, I love you? What about a spouse that you once loved, but now you feel like you're just sharing a house? How do we, how do we get through this crisis? How do we bridge that gap? How do we patch relationships or start relationships with people we don't even know? How do we look for something positive in the situation? Look for the best in that person. If we never knew them, we've got to we've got to start all over. We're starting from scratch. And yet, we are ultimately responsible for their care. <laughs> Well, there's no doubt about it that fear and love are two of the greatest motivators in the world, right? In life. Both are emotional. You know, sometimes we have to use that emotion to confront challenges. That Fear of loneliness or losing that person to this disease is a scary, scary place to be. Even for the toughest people in the world, it is not easy. And, you know, we honestly don't know at when, at any given time, somebody's going to step in and ask us to help. It happened to me recently. I was talking to my nephew who wanted me to be the guardian and conservator for my brother. And I had to tell him no. Nope, I'm I'm already busy with one other member of the family and I cannot do it. 
And I guess I can honestly say it's a never-say-never situation, but right now it's never. (laughs) You know, why me? Why do I need to step in and care for somebody? Because I do this for a living doesn't mean I have to drown in it. Just because you're married to somebody doesn't mean you have to drown in it. It's, it's a situation of maybe you're the only one that lives close to him. Maybe you're the only one willing to help. Maybe you're the only one that didn't say no. Do people just assume you'll do something that you'll step in as a caregiver just because you're married? Because it's a sense of obligation? Because of guilt? It's the right thing to do? It's a promise you made? You know, families often say, hey, we take care of our own, especially our um, other cultures. I see this a lot in the Mexican and Asian cultures where they just they just take care of somebody. They don't put them in a home. They don't they don't no matter how hard the scope of care gets, they don't make that change. They don't do it. But even if you're not the primary person, you should probably help where you can. I did that with my nephew. I said I'll try and call around and find a conservator that will take care of your dad's money, who's my brother. Uh, I did. I made several calls. I got nobody to call me back in my small town. Um, You know, these are things that happen all the time. And my poor nephew is just kind of left out in the cold because I haven't called him back to say, uh, hey, I couldn't find anybody. I've called and made 15 phone calls to different attorneys in in my town and nobody will call me back. But to that degree, he hasn't called me either. Sometimes it's just about mending relationships. But I know this. It's up to you to decide if it's a burden or if it's an opportunity. If it's out of love or if it's out of spite, if it's out of hate, if it's out of sense of obligation, usually those don't fare very well. Um... The more you don't like the caregiving role, the more you're going to react to behaviors or actions or comments that really seem out of character. It's going to make you mad. You know, we we have bad days. We have good days. We have days when we do really, really well with the situation in days that we have our own personality quirks and uh, we feel depressed, we feel down. We don't have enough purpose in our life. They have zero purpose left in their life. We're all trying to figure out what we need to do. And if that person is being just too adamant that they won't accept care, that they don't have a disease... Sometimes we might have to document those events and tell people in the family, maybe I'm not the person to do this. Maybe I should step away from my responsibility as power of attorney. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. It's not as simple as a coffee table discussion of I'm picking you to be my power of attorney because you're the one person that won't put me in a nursing home. It's, you know, it's hard because that person over time loses so much from that first initial conversation. They're repeating themselves. They're not taking care of their hygiene. They're losing their car in a parking lot. They'll call relatives several times a day. They don't get their bills paid or they pay them twice. Their house goes to hell in a handbasket, filthy, dirty. They don't clean it. They're not doing their laundry. They, they're letting their, their health deteriorate. They're not brushing their teeth or brushing their hair. They're not shaving. They lose that ability to sequence and even do small tasks. Um, you ask them to go get something out of the refrigerator, they don't do it. Um, we know that they are forgetful. We know they are confused. We know they act differently. They get lost on familiar roads. But there's some physical things too, like a shuffled gait or falling when the spatial isn't working anymore. We'll see things like that. Um, things like them not being able to dial phone numbers or recognize, you know, addition and subtraction and and stuff like that if they're paying for something and they don't know how much money to pull out of their, their wallet. Um, you can have crazy, awkward conversations on the phone like I did with my mom. It seems like you and them are angry at each other when you used to be best friends and it doesn't feel like that's happening anymore. And when their world is spinning out of control, so is yours. Everybody becomes uncertain of everything. And when everybody becomes uncertain, we see personality changes. We see people doing things out of character. You as a care partner is reacting and snapping at them and you don't mean to. They're asking you the same questions over and over, which they never would have. Those kinds of things are more demanding and they're more difficult to deal with. And we also are dealing with things like auto mishaps. You know, driving, I say it over and over, is a, a privilege, not a right. This is where we see a lot of issues coming up. Um, sometimes they can act out. They can become contentious with you, say things that are rude or mean, and they don't mean to. You know, we always recognize that it's the disease, but sometimes that's hard. We will see a certain amount of them going back in time with age regression. Uh, happens all the time. Talking about jobs they had when they were younger, things they did when they were younger. They have a lot of apathy. We just, oh gosh, every day, every call I get, they start with my person doesn't care anymore. They've lost interest in things. They're not eating proper, properly. 
they're not motivated, they're disorganized, they're depressed. I don't think they're I don't think they're getting good nutrition anymore. They just forget to eat. All these kind of things pop up. They're they're the journey. They're the journey along the way from that first dinner table conversation. I'll give you the power of attorney because you'll take care of me to oh no, we have confusion and delusions and hallucinations and all kinds of problems that have now happened five, six, seven years later. When they get in like these little stupors that they can't seem to get out of, we have no idea how to get them out of it. It's hard to get somebody up out of something that they don't know they're in. You know, if they don't know where they kept things, they're not going to be able to find them later. If they can't catch on to new information, they don't understand why it's all not working. Why aren't they learning new things? Why do they not know how to manage colors when they're getting dressed? Why do they wear the wrong things? Why did they button everything wrong? They don't know they did. We get mad about it. This isn't our person. This isn't what we signed on for. I Oh, if I had a nickel for every time I hear this isn't what I signed on for. Yeah, I guess it depends on your marriage vows and sickness and in health. If you didn't say that, I guess you don't have to worry about it. Nobody's expecting you to be an angel and to be perfect and to always act the right way instead of react when somebody's talking incessantly or their thought process is too slow or they do wear the wrong thing up and down the stairs or they're having bladder incontinence and have diarrhea all over the floor. When you have a quick temper... And they have a quick temper and short-term memory is taking over your entire life. There's no reasoning. There's no common sense. There's no recall of family traditions. There doesn't seem to be any intimacy. There doesn't seem to be any love. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. (laughs) Forgetfulness. I can talk really, really, I can, uh, has taken over. These are hard things. And along that journey, we're talking about driving. We're having to turn utilities back on when they don't pay their bills. We're dealing with severe depression, lack of interest, extreme apathy, The fact that they are self-limiting themselves, like they don't want to go on trips that they used to love to do. They show a total lack of emotion about things that they should feel emotion about. And that gradual loss of memory and function, it, it creates those holes in the memory 
And then they get mad at you because they can't remember. They get mad at you because they have confusion and memory problems and sequencing problems. And they're not caring for themselves and it's your fault. We're doing everything we can. But now we're kind of in an unhealthy codependent relationship. It's hard. It's hard. And when these things are happening, all the conversations that we had at one time or another go right out the window. I've had shows before about the promise. I've had shows about understanding the scope of care. But I've had so many people recently who called me and said, this isn't what I signed on for. This this life that we're living isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I gave somebody advice that I've given on the podcast before. And that was to look at the grieving process over again. Go in and look at the actual steps of grieving, explore it, let let it enlighten you, try to figure out how all that is working with you. Are you angry? Are you trying to negotiate? Are you making deals with God? Are you praying extra hard? Are you ever going to get to the acceptance level? Um There's no way that that promise, the day you were chosen, still exists on this incredibly long journey. If that gives any of you any peace, I sincerely hope it does. Because it is the single hardest emotional obstacle that we deal with when we love somebody with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, Lewy body, whatever type of dementia it is. And I just needed to say it again that this is just one great big journey and the and the the path from A to Z changes and has so many obstacles. There's no way we could have predicted it would take this route. And sometimes we have to take new routes. We have to divert, find a new way, find a new plan, and work with what we are dealing with now. I hope this helped my friends. And I really wish you all the love and care in the world for your own emotional health. Think about all of this. Let it sink in, and I'll talk to you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. 
please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.